You're listening to episode number 75 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast. Welcome to the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, where it's all about smart, efficient training so you can crush your cycling goals. And now, your host, Coach Rob Manning. Okay, welcome everybody to episode number 75 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, the only show on the internet that makes real science real simple. I am your host, Coach Rob, and I've got a great show for you today where I'm going to be tackling a number of cycling coaching questions and, of course, queries that I've gotten in the past few months. It's been a few months since my last podcast, and that is sort of by design. Uh, There's been a lot going on in terms of tailwind coaching, uh, some website moves and things like that. So there's been a lot of maintenance to handle in the past couple months. So we're back on track here with another great podcast for you and lots of great free information. Uh, That being said, the Tailwind Coaching website, the Daily Grind Cycling Journal blog, the episode show notes receptacle is all available at tailwind-coaching.com. That is the new permanent domain name, so update your bookmarks for anything that you may have bookmarked. And that is exactly also where you're going to find my online training plan store with complete training solutions for all of your major season goals, grand fondos, races, rides, and of course, general cycling fitness. And to complement those training plans, you can sign up for my exclusive training plan support, which is a $30 per month recurring fee where I coach you through any downloadable plan of mine. So you go onto the website, say you purchase my full season training solution, and You need to modify it a little bit to fit your schedule a little bit. You head on over to tailwindcoaching.com, tailwind-coaching.com, and you sign up for that training plan support. You'll be able to email me once a week with your questions, concerns, comments, and coaching issues. I will help you move things around in that training plan, adapt that training plan to your needs and your goals. While you're over at Tailwind Coaching, sign up for the Tailwind Coaching newsletter. The quick link for that is tailwind-coaching.com slash sign up. And you'll get free coaching advice, workouts, fitness information, and special offers all delivered into your inbox. I never share or sell email addresses. That's just not how I'm, what I'm all about. It's not how I am. So don't fear that. Don't forget to share it with your friends as well. And keep a good, sharp lookout for an upcoming uh, sales series, Five Days of Deals. Okay, so coming up here in the next few weeks, you're going to be getting a series of emails about five of them, where you're going to get five separate days of deals on all of my coaching plans. Okay, You're going to be able to purchase most of my stuff at a pretty significant discount, and it's going to be that springboard to try and get you to bump your fitness up, to upgrade your fitness in the coming fall season. Or if you're one of my down below riders, you're going to be into your spring and summer season really soon. If you have questions, don't be afraid to contact me, coachrobdc at gmail.com or coachrobdc at tailwind-coaching.com. You can follow me on Strava. You can follow me on Stitcher. You can find the podcast on Podbean. You can find me on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram at coachrobdc. And I ask you, if you enjoy the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, head on over to the iTunes link that's in the episode show notes here and give me a five-star rating. The more five stars I get, the more people I get to reach by moving up those rankings, and the more people get this free information. And that's what I love to do. I love to watch people ride their bike. I love to watch people enjoy riding their bike a little bit more. So the more people I can get the information to, the more people I get to watch have a good freaking time riding. 
And of course, the episode show notes for this particular episode of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast are available at tailwind-coaching.com slash 75. That's the number 75. All right, now, on to the meat and potatoes of today's show. A couple of cycling coaching questions and, of course, answers from readers, listeners, and cyclists and athletes just like all of you. Okay, let's get into some of these coaching questions and answers. The first one I've got here is coming from Mike Q. Now, I'm not going to give any last names for any of these questions because I don't want to call anybody out. Um, But again, Mike Q is asking me about getting dropped on his group rides. He does say, I'm finding that I'm getting dropped on my group rides and in my races. I look around, everyone seems to be riding at a lot less effort. Some of my teammates have shared their power data with me, and I'm putting out between 30 and 40 more watts than them on the same rides, but I'm still being dropped. How can I stay with them a little bit better? Do I need more training, or do I need a different bike? Thanks. Well, Mike, there's a lot of factors that go into how you perform on a group ride or in a race. There are a lot of factors that go into how fast you ride. There are a lot of factors that go into how efficient your body is. Um, There are... A lot of variables here. The short answer is going to be no, you probably don't need a different bike. Um, as much as I would love to have you purchase a bike through me through an affiliate link or send you to your local shop and give them some business, you really don't need another bike. The bike you have is just fine. Do you need more training? That's a tough question to answer uh, without having seen your training logs and seen seeing where you're at in terms of your fitness. Um, And it also depends on the time of year that you're talking about. If you're going out for early season group rides, very likely you do need a little bit more training, okay? Um, If this is middle of race season and you're getting dropped then, you may need to change your training or adapt your training to something uh, a little bit more uh, targeted towards your goals. But let's look at it from... Um, this perspective. Uh, Some of the factors that really matter in terms of your efficiency and your speed and your ability to keep up with a group ride are the tire pressure you're running, the kind of chain lube you're using, how aerodynamic you are, how efficient your body is, how tuned your body is. Um, Obviously, if you're talking about tuning up your body, that's pretty important. Uh, You can Of course, shoot me further questions about coaching and things like that, but obviously, I'm going to suggest that, yes, you probably need a little bit more fitness. Although, what you're telling me is that you're putting out between 30 and 40 more watts than each one of your teammates. Now, my question would be, what is that percentage? Is that 5%? Is it 10%? Is it 20% more than what your teammates are putting out? So, honestly, fitness probably isn't one of the big limiters for you. If you're putting out more power but still getting dropped, that leads me to an efficiency or aerodynamics or possibly some other kind of issue. For the most part, I'm going to say that your average issue, your average person who's having this problem is basically falling short in a couple areas. And you could consider those areas, quote, marginal gains. If you could see me, I'm doing air quotes with my fingers right now. Or you could consider them common sense, okay? I consider these to be kind of common sense and partly marginal gain type issues here. But the number one thing that I would say you need to take a look at, especially in a group ride or a race, is your aerodynamics and your aerodynamic efficiency. So 
it's well known that as a cyclist, as we move forward, the biggest resistance we face is air resistance on our body. And this is assuming a flat road. This is not a, you know, 15% gradient climb where obviously gravity is the biggest force we need to overcome. Uh, this is talking a flat road with a group. Obviously, the first and most significant point of resistance is air resistance, okay? Your coefficient of drag is an important part of your efficiency. And coefficient of drag is simply how slippery your body and bike are as it moves through the air, all right? In terms of aerodynamics, you can really make a couple of quick observations as to how aerodynamic your body and your bike really are. Um, here's a great example. Specialized, a couple of years ago, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes, actually a couple of months ago at this point, reported that you can save more than 70 seconds over the 40 kilometer time trial distance by simply shaving your legs. Now, I know many of you that are listening to this are going to listen to this and go, come on, I'm supposed to go into the bathroom and grab my wife's razor and just start hacking away at my legs. In short, yeah. <laughs> if you're smart, you go get your own razor because your wife will yell at you. I could speak from experience on this. But shaving your legs is a very simple, very, very simple, very cost-effective aerodynamic efficiency piece of the puzzle okay just removing all of that excess drag from your legs is huge now obviously the hairier you are if you're wookie style it's going to make a more significant difference than if you are not quite as hairy right but it's a simple effective efficiency trick and it also makes you look the part and of course, who doesn't want to look the part, right? Now, next thing you can take a look at. Once you're kitted up, once you're bent over on your bike, is your jersey loose? Is it baggy? Um, is it flapping in the wind? Um, are you wearing a jacket that puffs up as you ride? Um, is your jersey open and flapping in the breeze? Okay, all of those things will increase your aerodynamic drag on your body. And remember, your body is the biggest piece of aerodynamic drag and efficiency on your bike. Your bike is very relatively insignificant in terms of aerodynamic drag, unless you have cables poking out all over the place, extra loops of cables, things like that. Your bike is a relatively insignificant part of the efficiency, the aerodynamic efficiency equation, rather. So take a look at your body, take a look at your clothing. Get fit for a properly fitting kit. Look at the professionals. I've got a picture of Fabian Cancellara on my desktop right now. And it's from his race, I believe it was twenty it was the twenty ten Paris Roubaix. Um, his jersey is skin tight. His bibs are skin tight. He's wearing skin tight arm warmers. Um, he's wearing aero shoe covers. He's trying to reduce his aerodynamic drag as much as humanly possible. Now you will never see a professional wearing a flappy, oversized, poor-fitting kit. It just won't happen because they're trying to look for as much aerodynamic efficiency as possible. So you should follow suit. Yeah, and yes, I know someone's going to tell me, well, you see guys climbing mountains all the time with their jersey open. Right, but they're hitting a point, they're hitting speeds where aerodynamic efficiency is not as important as being able to cool your body down. Okay, so keep that in mind as well. Uh, other things you can take a look at in terms of 
efficiency, cycling efficiency, and getting more power to the ground and translating power into actual speed. Um, you have a question about a different bike. One thing that tends to follow, especially when it follows the aerodynamics discussion, is, well, I should change out my wheels. Wheels and tires can have a pretty significant impact on aerodynamics, but in reality, Mike, the cost-benefit ratio of swapping out your wheels and tires is pretty low. If you want to get new wheels and you're in the market for them, sure, you can look for a nice wide aerodynamic rim that has, you know, X coefficient of drag at X degrees yaw or Y degrees yaw, whatever you want. However, if you're just looking for relatively cheap or free tricks, I will tell you this, um, swapping your tires can be a huge improvement to your efficiency. And I'm going to preface this by saying that I will be doing a post on this whole concept uh, in the near future, so keep a look for that. But what I would suggest to you is if you're looking to work on efficiency, work on your uh, bike and body efficiency, consider next time you replace your tires going with a wider, more supple tire. Why does this work? Well, there's been a ton of talk about this in the last couple of years, but the wider the tire, the more supple the casing, the less vibratory input is transmitted into your body. All right, that vibration actually causes, the vibration that is put through your body from the road actually causes wasted energy. Now, you can test this. You've seen those vibrating platforms, I'm sure, the ones that basically tell you to uh, stand on this platform and it'll help you burn fat or stand on this platform it'll help make your workouts more intense what it is it's a micro vibration and that micro vibration while you're standing on it forces your muscles to contract now you're not going to feel this like you're extending your knee and contracting your quad or you're pushing a pedal stroke these are micro contractions among the muscle fibers and that is designed to really try to force your body to stabilize the idea is these micro contractions burn extra energy and they increase the intensity of a workout or they actually just burn energy in the general process and people hope to burn fat that way. It's a little bit misguided, but that's entirely a completely different discussion point. So that wider, that wider more supple tire does reduce the vibration through your body and reduces the wasted energy that you need to propel the bike forward. Now, the lower the pressure you run, the wider the tire, the lower the rolling resistance, so the less energy is lost pushing that bike forward. So less energy is essentially wasted in the interaction between friction, uh, interaction of friction between your tire and the ground. So if it takes 50 watts to make a tire move forward, and you reduce that to 25 watts, you've increased the efficiency 50%. Now, you have an extra 25 watts of propelling you forward instead of overcoming friction between the tire and the ground. All right, so if you're in the market for new tires and you're looking to save a couple of watts here or there or increase your efficiency, Mike, uh, I've got a couple of links in my show notes. I'm a big fan of the Continental GP4000 S2s. They're a great tire for a pretty reasonable price, and they can be found pretty reasonably on Amazon and other places. Um, I really, really like uh, those tires. They're great all-around tires. 
if you're riding a lot of gravel or a lot of really rough surfaces, they can be a little bit thin. Um, in that case, I really like the Vittoria Corsa G Plus Graphenes, um, which I literally just started riding about 100 miles ago, and I'm blown away by the quality of these tires. Um, for the most part, you're looking at a pair of the Vittoria Corsa G Pluses for about 120 bucks, and uh, it's a great 120 bucks spent. That whole casing is based on the uh, uh, the Corsa CX, which is a great, great cotton case tubular, uh, open tubular tire does come in tubular also um, <clears throat> but I check those two out if you're really interested those are really good ways to pick up a couple of watts of efficiency uh, I mentioned chain lube up in my uh, little summary up here chain lube can actually save you um, between four and seven watts so if we're taking a, a, a tally here Mike you're putting up between 30 and 40 more watts than your um, than your teammates if you want to cut that down, uh, be a little more aero, that might knock off 10 to 20 watts. Call it 20 watts if you're really flappy jersey and all that kind of stuff and you're sitting upright on the uh, on the hoods. Obviously, the, more lo the lower you are, the smaller frontal area you are, the better uh, aerodynamically you are. So call it 20 watts there. You've got a 10-watt deficit to look at. Uh, swap some tires out and you save maybe 10 watts there. Um, Okay, you're 30 watts down. You got maybe 40 uh, watts difference, so you got a 10 watt deficit possibly now, or you're even with one of your teammates. Uh, if you want to look at your chain lube, I posted a post a little while ago on my favorite chain lube process. Uh, that's the Friction Facts chain lube process. There's a link for that in the show notes. And uh, if you're willing to invest the time in that, that's a great option. It's a really low maintenance option. Once you do it, uh, you get to leave it for you know four or five hundred miles and not have to sweat it. And it will save you between four and seven watts worth of uh, efficiency. So, if you're talking forty watts deficit, you're only at a five watt deficit at this point. Uh, if you're talking a thirty watt deficit, you're actually ahead by five watts now. Um, and of course, finally, muscular efficiency and group ride tactics and racing tactics are huge, important part of your ability to stay together with any group. Um, I have some posts on effective group riding and. Uh, some posts on muscular efficiency. Basically, you kind of want to adapt your training a little bit to uh, make your body a little bit more efficient, uh, make it more efficient at burning fuel, uh, burning fat for fuel, which is a much higher uh, energy yield per mole of substrate or per molecule of substrate for those of you who are not chemically inclined. Uh, so there's a couple posts on that. I'll include links for those in the show notes, but in short, Mike, there's a bunch of things that you can do to really improve your efficiency and um, really take that deficit and make it uh, not so much of a deficit. In fact, maybe even put your buddies at a deficit as well. So, Mike, take a look at the links in uh, my show notes there and take the tips that I just gave you. And good luck to you on your next group ride. Hopefully you're the one that's doing the dropping as opposed to being dropped. Okay, I'm going to have a sip of coffee here, and we're going to get on to the next question about the best way to test your functional threshold power. Okay, from a fellow named Z. Uh, Coach, I've read a bunch of different opinions that you should only test your functional threshold power on a flat route, never on a climb. Why is this? Um, 
When I do long climbs here in Colorado, my 20-minute power on the climbs is higher than any of the 20-minute power numbers from the flat sections. Which one should I use for my functional threshold power? Well, Z, it's an interesting question, and uh, there is a little bit of science behind it, but uh, first, we have to define what functional threshold power is. And uh, in the show notes uh, for this one, tailwind-coaching.com slash 75, um, there is actually a link to one of my previous posts called uh, Functional Threshold Power, What Is It and What Do We Do With It? So give that a quick read. However, to summarize here, Functional Threshold Power, or FTP, is simply the amount of power that your body can produce using aerobic pathways. Um, If you want to look at it in respect to uh, lactate threshold, it's essentially um, the breakpoint by which your body cannot clear the lactic acid that it's being that it's producing. Um, so if you took this as a lab test, as a lactate threshold test in the lab, every few minutes you would take a finger prick with a blood sample, you would test for concentration of lactate. At some point there would be, instead of a steady rise towards equilibrium, there would be a sudden break point where that concentration of lactate would rise significantly. That is your threshold, all right? It's the point at which lactic acid buildup and clearance are at an equilibrium. Above that, lactate tends to accumulate, and it's an indicative nature of anaerobic capacity or anaerobic power, which is very finite in its um, executional ability, okay? Now, FTP is a little bit different. FTP does not measure lactate concentration. However, it does measure power at that lactate equilibrium or that threshold. It can be measured using a power meter, obviously. Using a one-hour average power is the golden standard. However, if you are just like most of the people that I coach and like myself, the thought of riding for one hour at a time trial pace, um, let's put it this way, you would rather probably stab red-hot screwdrivers covered in fire ants into your eyeballs. As a substitute, you can do a 20-minute test and take approximately 95% of that power. Now, it is an estimation by doing a 20-minute test and taking the 95th percent. However, it's an estimation that will be close enough and repeatable enough for training purposes. What you do not want to do is you do not want to do a 20-minute test one week or one month, do an hour test the next month, and then do, which I honestly do not recommend, the twin eight-minute tests. Uh, I think Trainer Road does that, Um, but it's more of a VO2 max estimation than it is a functional threshold power estimation. Um, And for various reasons, VO2 max and functional threshold power do not always go hand-in-hand at a very similar ratio to each other. So some people have excellent VO2 max, but not the best, uh, not the best functional threshold power. So uh, that's a little tangent there, but it is worth mentioning. Um, if you are doing a lactate threshold heart rate type test, you are going to take uh, the average heart rate over a 20-minute test. Now, um, it's worth pointing out, and I will uh, include a link in the show notes to my zone Uh, four, five, and six, seven power testing protocol. That four, five, six, seven power testing protocol is very simple. 
it takes you through testing your zone four, your zone five, your zone six, and your zone seven threshold powers. And it actually will allow you to train based on those thresholds as well, instead of making an estimated guess. Why is threshold power testing so important? Well, it's pretty important because if you do not set it properly, um, most of your training intervals are going to be off. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, my training systems and most of the training systems that I've ever encountered base their interval descriptions off a percentage of your FTP. Uh, for example, one of my favorite workouts to include with people is a 9 by 3 minute um, set of intervals with 3 minutes rest, 115 to 120% of FTP with 3 minutes of rest. That 115% functional threshold power level is firmly, firmly, firmly smack dab in the middle of your VO2 max power uh, band, if you will, or VO2 max power zone. For example, here, if you set your FTP 10% too high, so if you set your FTP, say, at 110 watts, but it's really only 100, you're actually going to be doing 125% of your FTP if you're doing that 9 by 3 at 115%. Do you follow? That 10% difference changes your zone of fitness. Now, it's true that zones are not straight cutoffs. Okay, You don't immediately go from zone 5 at 121% of threshold to zone 6 and just completely cut off and change the energy systems. There is an overlap. So there's definitely going to be benefit from doing 125% of your threshold. However, you are targeting the wrong energy systems by and large. So conversely, if your FTP were set too low, for example, if you were 100 watts of FTP and you actually set it for 90 watts of FTP, you would be training too low for that 115% FTP VO2 max effort. You'd be training the upper end of your functional threshold power zone instead of training your VO2 max. So with that little explanation of FTP and why it's important, why would you test your functional threshold on a time trial course versus a climbing course? And why is FTP higher in the climbing situation? This is actually a pretty complicated uh, matter to discuss. I'm going to try and make it as succinct as possible. Your body develops muscular tension and uses energy to propel your bike forward. Um, during a climb, your body is mainly attempting to create tension in the pedals, which will overcome the force of gravity. On a flat surface, your body is only attempting to propel the bike forward. So, the lesson here is that because you have that additional uh, force working against you in terms of gravity, your body will typically resort to adding a bit of additional anaerobic power during a climb. So, you'll begin burning... Um, anaerobic energy stores, carbohydrates, um, creatine phosphate, uh, if you're really working hard, uh, 
breaking down and hydrolyzing adenosine triphosphate, or ATP, for energy. That uses some of your W' reserves. W' is your anaerobic work capacity, and you can check out uh, more information on that. There's a link in the show notes under Z's question here. But because W' or anaerobic work capacity is being added to the mix, your FTP on a climb will typically be increased above the same measurement you would find uh, if you performed it on perfectly flat ground. Now, looking at this from a very practical perspective, because I know it's easy to get caught up in the numbers, and I know a lot of people get caught up in numbers. Looking at this from a practical perspective, it really doesn't matter whether you use a climbing FTP or whether you use a flat time trial course functional threshold power to measure your intervals. The bottom line is, if you can do a 20-minute climb at 280 watts, your 20-minute power number is 280 watts. Your functional threshold is probably 95% of that, probably. If you do a 20-minute time trial at 250 watts, what is your body capable of? Is it capable of pushing 280 watts for 20 minutes? Or is it only capable of pushing 250 watts for 20 minutes? In practicality, you will use the greater number of the two because your body is able and capable of producing power for that amount of time, use that number. It doesn't matter whether it's on a climb, whether it's on a flat time trial or on a slightly descending flat route, for lack of a better term. The only time I would not use a 20-minute figure for um, for a functional threshold power is if the variability index for that 20-minute effort is significantly higher than 1.0, uh, 1.01. Uh, maybe 1.02 would be the max. Uh, and that variability index is heavily related to how even your power production is, how um, flat your power curve is. Are you staying at one power level or are you spiking, recovering, spiking, recovering? So a variability index very, very close to 1.000 as well as a FTP number or a power number for 20 minutes. And that's what I'm going to use to do my training. And Z, that's what I recommend you use to do your training as well. Okay, now <clears throat> Scott S. has a question about riding in the heat. And uh, Scott asks, I have a lot of trouble with riding in the heat. When I start out, I'm okay. But as soon as I start doing any kind of interval work, my performance drops really badly. I can't race in the heat well either, and that messes with my criterium season two. Is there anything I can do to help make this less of a problem? Well, Scott, I've got a couple of posts about this, um, cool, how to cool off, how to keep cool in the heat, and um, warming up uh, for cycling in the heat. Two really good posts. I'm going to link those in the show notes here, and uh, <clears throat> I'm going to suggest you head on over to tailwind-coaching.com slash 75, and you take a look at those and see if you can get some answers there. Uh, the short answer here is that you really need to acclimate to hot weather 
and your performance will be very dependent upon the type of warm-up that you perform in that hot weather. Um, in hot weather, remember that your body will typically warm up and actually physically reach exercise capacity a lot quicker than it would in very cold weather. So warming up way too much can really kind of blow out your engine uh, before you even start your ride. Um, too little warm-up can actually leave you struggling to perform off the bat because your body um, in the heat has to cope with a variety of additional stresses and environmental stresses. Uh, specifically, your body needs time to start up its sweat production um, facilities, if you will. Uh, your body has to be able to uh, <clears throat> get all of those aerobic machinery pieces moving and acclimatize your body to that increased uh, thermal load of riding in that extreme heat and humidity. So uh, take a look at both of those both of those posts. Those posts are very, very detailed in terms of what you can do. My recommendation is that if you're having trouble warming up and riding and racing in the heat is that it is a heat management issue, uh, more so than a warm-up issue. And in that case, there's a couple of things you can do, such as uh, ice in your bottles, obviously. You can freeze um, a bottle and uh, at least half of a bottle of liquid and top it up right before you start off. That will give you a lot of icy, cool liquid to uh, cool yourself from the inside. And of course, you mentioned criterium racing, so I'm going to go ahead and talk about my favorite ice sock uh, technique. Grab yourself a pair of pantyhose from your local supermarket and a couple of bags of ice right before you start out. Fill the leg of the pantyhose with ice, tie it off, or just sort of uh, tuck it in the upper back of your jersey. Um, please, in between uh, a base layer and your jersey. Do not put ice on bare skin as it will have a potential to give you frostbite even in July. Uh, so wear a base layer underneath. But that ice will melt and cascade down your back and keep you cool as well as helping to draw um, heat energy away from your core and out into your jersey where it can be evaporated out into the environment. So that's a couple of really quick quick tips for you, Scott. But again, take a look in the episode show notes, uh, tailwind-coaching.com slash 75 for those, and you can actually find both of those uh, articles. And that's going to be under the writing in the heat subheading here for you. My next question from Manny, how do you know you're getting better? This is a question that I get so, so, so many times. And I have answered it so so many times as well so we're going to go through the specifics of it right here uh, again just need a sip of coffee it's honduras today actually um from monument coffee roasters in manassas virginia check those guys out really cool i saw them at um i met those folks at um 2015 richmond worlds and uh great great group of guys and gals and uh, really great product. So give them a check out too. Uh, but Manny asks here, Hey coach, I've been training for a couple of years now. I've been adding mileage and doing a couple of interval workouts I've seen in magazines. I'm really interested in improving my fitness, but I'm confused how to measure my progress. I don't have a power meter, but I want to get one. 
So until then, how can I tell if I'm improving? I feel like my progress has stalled. Well, Manny, your progress may have stalled, but really this question isn't necessarily about your progress stalling. It's about how to detect subtle changes in your fitness as opposed to the big glaring ones. Um, If you've been training for a couple of years now, I'm presuming you've been a rider for only a couple of years now as well, so you're going to see those huge beginner improvements in those first two to three years where you will be able to go from a couple of miles really slow to a lot of miles really slow to a lot of miles really fast. Um, And that's typical beginner improvement. However, once you hit the threshold of where you stop improving because you're just riding more miles, you have to start looking at more subtle uh, indications of changes in fitness. Now, to answer this question, i got to talk about how we're going to measure fitness and improvement when we're cycling, and there's a bunch of different ways to do this, and I'm going to go over them. But Manny, keep these in mind. If or if you do or do not get a power meter, um, there's a couple of ways you can figure this out. So, number one, for improvements measured with a power meter, and of course for power meters, I recommend the stages unit. They are great units. They are super durable, super reliable, and um, the stages folks are just top-notch guys. Um, But with a power meter, look for an increase in your functional threshold power or other critical power metrics. Those critical power metrics are the 1-minute, 3-minute, 5-minute, 8-minute, and 20-minute power numbers. And uh, the protocols for all these testing um, uh, parameters can be found in my Zone 4, 5, 6, and 7 power testing program. There's a link for that in the show notes. Um, Now... You can also find some other improvements with your power meter if you're using a heart rate monitor. Um, You're going to look for a decreased heart rate at a similar power. Or if you're just measuring via heart rate, as you probably are right now, you can look for a decrease of heart rate at a similar speed. And of course, this is over a known segment or a known uh, course. Uh, You can look for improvements that are measured by speed alone. And these are, again, increased speed over a known loop or a segment or a course or something like that. The problem with using speed is that speed is very dependent on ambient conditions, environmental conditions. Um, If the wind is different, if it's hotter that day than it was the first day you did it, if if it's raining one day, um, if you're very, very tired one day, for example, you had a long day at work and... You came home, you didn't sleep all that night, the next morning you get up and you go for a um, a ride over a known loop, and you're slower. Are you slower because your fitness isn't good, or are you slower because you're tired? All right. <clears throat> if you're using speed, you need to make sure that all the ambient conditions and environmental conditions and secondary conditions are as similar as possible during each test period. Now, it's tough to do, but it may require you to move your days around and sort of retest on a day that's favorable. Now you should be able to record, if you're doing speed, I advise you to be recording speed uh, via GPS or at absolute minimum a speed and cadence and time sensor. Something that will give you a very repeatable uh, set of data parameters as opposed to just hitting a stopwatch 
and um, clocking a distance. Um, you can measure improvement via RPE. Um, how many times have you gotten to the top of a climb and said, man, that felt easy? Well, you can actually go back and look and see, did I do that climb faster and did it feel easier? Now, again, this is a very subjective measurement and it, it basically does rely on your uh, knowledge of your own body, how your body feels in different conditions, how it reacts to different conditions and different stimulus. And it's very effective, though. I will say that. It is very, very effective when accompanied by speed and cadence over a known loop or a known segment. Um, and I mentioned that a few moments ago. So combining speed, cadence, heart rate, and RPE, or rating of perceived exertion, for those of you who are wondering, you can actually get a really good idea of how is your body changing and improving? Is it getting better? Finally, you can use services such as Strava to monitor your improvement. And again, Strava includes testing over known segments or loops. In Strava, you can privately designate uh, certain loops or segments so that you can compare your performance against previous performances. You can try for KOMs and things like that on Strava. However, Strava comes with a huge caveat. Do not let Strava become an obsession for you and ruin your fitness. This happens frequently. People see a challenge, they get involved in it, and suddenly they become consumed by a challenge, and they end up overtraining or undertraining one of their weaknesses or something of that nature, and it ends up becoming a problem. If you're using Strava as a measurement tool, that's perfectly fine. But use it for a measurement tool. And while I'm on the uh, subject of Strava, let's talk about Zwift. Zwift is a wonderful way to measure improvement for heart rate, speed, cadence, and RPE because it's very repeatable, it's indoors, and it's on a trainer. All of those things make ambient temperature control, ambient environmental control paramount. All right, You can control almost to a T your testing situation each time you test your fitness. So Zwift is really, really good for that as well. So keep that in mind if you're looking to really test and see if you are improving or not. And use those metrics, Manny, to see if you're improving or not. Just because you're not getting super fast, you're not feeling faster, does not mean you're actually not improving. All right. And remember, if you're a beginner, you're going to improve a lot in the first few years. But temper your expectations after that two or three year mark, and you will actually realize your fitness gains will be a lot more impressive than you thought they were going to be. Mainly because you're taking a well-tuned machine and taking it, taking it up to a really well-tuned machine, as opposed to taking a really crappy machine and turning it into a well-tuned machine. All right. <clears throat> Omar G, he's got a question about long distance training. Hey, Coach Rob, I've got a question for you about longer distance riding and racing. I'm planning on doing a couple of Grand Fondos next year, and I'm not sure how to train. <laughs> you know, it's surprising to me that it actually took me, what, five, one, two, three, four, five questions to get to the Grand Fondo question, considering Grand Fondos are really such a popular thing right now. Um, Omar continues, how long should my longest training rides be? What should I focus on? I'm not sure if I'm going to be doing big hills yet or flatter rides, so how should I train? Thanks. Training for distance is very similar to training for anything else. All right. 
I'm going to walk you right through this. So you're going to take, well, first you're going to find your, your goal date, all right? The date of your major season goal or your major season grand fondo. And you're going to focus primarily on fundamental training about four months out from that main goal. Now you're going to start with pedaling techniques, with uh, some muscular endurance work, possibly some gym work and other force production work as well. You can get away with one day of higher intensity work per session to help build your VO2 max capacity, raise your fitness ceiling, and really begin to challenge your body. With about 10 weeks to go, you're going to start switching gears to higher intensity work. Um, and that's going to be work that includes a lot of zone six, uh, zone six type of efforts, shorter duration, higher intensity VO2 type work, um, longer duration threshold work. These are going to be the staples of most of your um, mid, I'm going to say mid to late uh, training plan blocks. All right. And especially the VO2 work and the threshold work. The VO2 work at this point is going to help to, again, raise that fitness ceiling. That threshold work is going to help to improve your body's resiliency at that threshold level. And, of course, raise that functional threshold capacity as well. That allows you to <clears throat> ride faster for longer periods of time without becoming quite as fatigued as you normally would. Obviously, the higher your functional threshold, the higher power you can put out for a longer period of time without fatiguing significantly. In terms of moving towards event week, you're going to need at least one or two rides that mimic the length of your expected goal in terms of hours. I'm not talking about miles. All right, miles are rather irrelevant, to be honest with you. Um, your body doesn't care whether it's 50 miles or 100 miles. It does care whether it's three hours or six hours. You have to be able to train your body to handle a ride of that length of time, to be under stress for that length of time. Uh, that's mainly for saddle time and comfort mainly for it's it's not really training per se you're not going to get as much you will get training stress out of it don't get me wrong but you don't train for long rides by riding long if that makes any sense for you Omar um, the long ride is really only an extension of your shorter training blocks you're just taking a number of shorter training blocks and putting them together so, for example, if you follow most of my training plans, you will have some blocks where you'll be doing two hours, maybe an hour, maybe two hours, and then on a weekend, you might do three and a half hours or four hours. Honestly, those types of efforts are perfectly capable of preparing you for a Grand Fondo that's a hundred and some odd miles. All right, if you're fast, let's talk about you doing a Grand Fondo at 20 miles an hour, average, which is really fast. Okay, but I'm going to do it just for rounding off sake. Say 20 miles an hour, that should be about a five hour Grand Fondo. If you've been regularly doing three and a half to four hour training rides during the weekends, tacking on that extra hour a week or two before your main goal event should be cake. Should be cake. And it will give you an idea of what it feels like to be under stress for that period of time. And that's very, very important. 
So Almar, the main thing here, four months out, start with your fundamentals. About 10 weeks out, you can go back to higher intensity work, zone six work, shorter duration, higher intensity VO2 work, longer duration threshold work. Um, as you move towards that event, you're going to add a couple of rides that mimic the overall expected length of your uh, Grand Fondo goal. And that's mainly so that your body can get used to the constant stress it will be under. All right. That's how you go about long distance training and how you would basically work that through. All right. Training longer or training harder. This question is very similar to the previous one. So Lisa M, I'm going to refer you to this previous question here. Hey coach, I'm a beginner. I've been told I need to do a lot of riding to improve. Your podcast tells me I should ride harder. Which one works best? Um, Lisa, if you are a beginner, you really don't need to do a lot of training uh, at all, to be honest with you. You only need to ride your bike to get better. If you really want to pick up good habits right now, Take a look at what I answered for Omar in the previous question here. Um, most of my training systems are involving harder, more intense interval work. And the idea being that that more intense interval work will actually help to build lower intensity fitnesses as well. So which one works best? If you have a lot of time to ride and just get out and pedal your bike, sure, you'll improve. And as a beginner, you're going to improve anyway. If you do not have a lot of time to get out and ride your bike, um, I'm going to tell you that getting out and riding your bike hard will give you bigger bang for your buck than if you just get out and tool around and ride to the coffee shop. So, um, again, refer to what I spoke to uh, Omar about here in my previous question. And uh, to be honest with you, Lisa, I'm actually going to probably put together a post on... Um, training longer or training harder in the near future here, only because I've gotten this question quite a bit recently as people have started picking up their bike again as, um, as an older beginner or as they're starting to take it up because they can't do another sport or something. I, it's one of those things where when the full moon comes out, you get a lot of the same thing, a lot of the same questions, and I've gotten this quite a bit recently. So um, I'm going to do a post on this one. It's, uh, it's worth covering in a post, so keep a lookout for that. Uh, next question, final question actually. The basic power meter setup. And this comes from a listener by the name of Ty. Uh, I may be spaying this name wrong. So Tynan, 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 I guess. Um, I'm not sure where you're from, Tynan, but um, please drop me an email and tell me how to pronounce your name. <laughs> um, I'm terrible with names, by the way. That's, that's just how it is. Um, here we go. Coach, I listened to your podcast about the 10 reasons to train with a power meter. Um, as a side note, I'll link that in the show notes as well. So if you want to go back and check that out, you're welcome to. Uh, Tynan's continues on here. Now I need to get on board with that. What is the bare minimum that I need to get started with power? Cool. Okay. Well, Tynan, if you want to get started, and again, if I'm saying your name wrong, I really, really apologize. I'm just going to guess it's Tynan. Uh, if you really want to get started with training with power, I'm going to recommend you probably need three things. Uh, you need a power meter, obviously. And <clears throat> my personal preference of power meter, obviously, again, is going to be stages power. Uh, stages power, number one, is reliable as all hell. Uh, I've ridden in rain. 
I've ridden in gravel, I've ridden in dust, I've ridden in dirt, I have basically power washed the damn thing, I have beaten the thing up, um, I've ridden basically stuff that shouldn't be ridden on a road bike with my road bike, and I've crashed that road bike. That stupid stage's power meter has survived pretty much anything I've possibly been able to throw at it. And the fact that I've been able to power wash the bloody thing and it still hasn't fallen apart is testament to how durable that uh, silly little piece of plastic is. So, Stage's Power Meter, <clears throat> definitely recommended. It doesn't hurt. They are an affiliate of this show. They do support this show. Every purchase contributes a few bucks to uh, the Tailwind Coaching Podcast to keep it free. So, side bonus of that. If you are looking for something different, I also do recommend you check out Power Meter City. They are an affiliate of mine. Um, I know the guys over there. The guys over there are really, really awesome. Uh, they really... Um, how do I put this? They really actually care about your issues with your Power Meter. Um, Josh and his crew basically designed Power Meter City so that they don't sell anything but power equipment, power meters, power measuring equipment. They are there solely to help you select and utilize and maintain any of the power meters they sell. And they sell SRM, they sell um, <clears throat> Cyclops or Saris as it is now, um, including the pedals, the chain ring based meter, etc., etc. Uh, they don't sell stages, unfortunately. They sell the 4iii, 4i, 4quad, I don't know, whatever that thing is called. It's another power uh, arm-based power meter, or a crank arm-based power meter. They sell SRM, yeah. They got a, a large selection, so check them out. Um, they're very, very good as well. Um, the power meter is your basic necessity. It will produce a signal with power. Um, the algorithms will calculate your power and all that kind of stuff. You need something to receive it. Uh, personally, I recommend a Garmin device. Uh, I have not tested the Lazine devices. I've not tested any of the other GPS devices at this time. I do know Stages is coming out with its own head unit. Um, there is the SRM power control units. They are very, very, very expensive. You could be paying almost $1,000 just for a... Uh, PC7 or PC8. I think PC8 is the most recent one. If you can get hold of one, you'd be paying almost a thousand bucks for it. You really don't need that as you're just getting started with power. So a Garmin device, which is easy to use, that you can record your power numbers and then download them after the fact is a necessity. Um, there's a link for the Garmin Edge 500 in my episode show notes, tailwind-coaching.com slash 75. Um, there will also be a link for the uh, Edge 520 in my episode show notes, so you can take a look at that as well. And finally, uh, you need something to analyze that data with. Um, what you need for that, you can either use for free by using Strava. You can upload your data there and get some very rudimentary power uh, evaluation metrics. You can use... Uh, premium Strava, which is maybe eight or ten bucks a month, something like that, for power measuring um, or power analysis software. 
You can use Training Peaks, which has a free and a paid version. I'll be honest, I really dislike Training Peaks. It's a clunky interface, and it really doesn't uh, provide a whole lot of analysis potential. Or you can use Golden Cheetah, which is a free program. It's a little bit more difficult to use, but there is a huge, huge uh, Google user groups that will help you use it as well, and they'll help you learn how to analyze power using Golden Cheetah. And of course, you can take a look at my uh, series on training with a power meter and how to analyze your power uh, data, which I will link in the episode show notes as well. So Tainan, if you are looking for a package, here's what I would buy as a bare minimum to get started using power. I would purchase a Stages power meter, a Garmin 500, which is a very simple device to use, and I would download Golden Cheetah to my computer so that I could upload my rides and my data to it and evaluate my data post-ride or post-race. Um, and that's really all you need. Uh, if you want to go beyond that, you can increase the type of power meter you use or you can increase the quality of it. You can go to an SRM. Uh, you can go to a more fancy Garmin device. You can go to a paid Training Peaks account. In reality, you don't need it. The bare minimum is a power meter, a device to measure it, and a device to analyze your measurements. So my recommendations aside, that's really all that you need. All right, that about wraps up another edition of uh, coaching question and answers. And um, any questions on any of the stuff that I have talked about today, feel free to shoot me an email at coachrobdc at gmail.com or coachrobdc at tailwindcoaching.com. You can also feel free to subscribe to the Tailwind Coaching newsletter, which has more information about a lot of these topics on a uh, about a monthly basis, give or take. And don't forget to watch out in the very near future for my five days of training deals so that you can get five days of fitness deals and build your fitness while keeping some extra scratch in your pocket. Thanks for listening, folks. Again, any questions, feel free to shoot me email or social media messages, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Until that time, until you hear from me again, ride safe, ride happy, ride strong, keep the shiny side up, keep the rubber side down, and I'll be talking to you again really, really soon.